Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are there upright canine cryptids stalking around Pennsylvania? What does our motley panel think about ghosts? What the hay is going on in New Hampshire UFO-wise? Hello and welcome to the 745th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on our 10th anniversary show. And Ben and those uh, diverse questions came from our co-host, partner in the paranormal, and father, Paul. I wish that there was like another another word that I could use. Papa, Paul. Wrong. Then we could have all of the alliterations. So to help celebrate <laughs> the beginning of our 11th year on the air, we're introducing a new show format uh, that will employ... And then pretty much every eight to ten weeks is what what we're thinking about, and uh, an open line show with uh, an in studio panel of paranormal experts. So we welcome your calls today. Numbers are eight hundred four four nine one two four zero from anywhere in the U S or Canada, and uh, we will monitor emails as well. Paul at behindtheparanormal dot com for those. Now joining us today are three increasingly well known paranormal adventurers who are among the few Ben and I will work with. Uh, they have all been on our live panels on either the or both of the Exeter UFO Festival and the Greater New England UFO Conference uh, take place every fall. Shane Searway is well known to our listeners as a favorite guest co-host. And don't worry, folks, we'll still have a regular open line shows with Shane, uh, which I think they'd cancel us if we didn't because it's so popular. <laughs> all right, Shane, welcome aboard. Thanks. They had a few words to that. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I want to congratulate you and Ben for 10 years, and I'm glad you have been part of uh, many shows with you, and uh, congratulations, guys. You deserve it. Very good. And uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, since we have, um, I'm told, a lot of new listeners today. Okay. Um, well, I'm over 30 years' experience as a paranormal researcher and also in ufology, and um, uh, you can find me at trueghost.com, T-R-U-E-G-H-O-S-T.com. Uh, for contact information, and um, that's it. Okay, very good. I also, just wanted to remind everyone, this is a two-hour special today. Usually we're one hour. I will be dominating the uh, southeastern New England airwaves here for uh, until 2 o'clock uh, this afternoon in Eastern Time. Charles Credo is here uh, in his first in-studio appearance on the show, although Chuck has been on uh, several of our panels. Chuck, tell us uh, about yourself. Well, I'm an Aquarius. And I like long walks on the beach. No. <laughs> I, uh, my name is Chuck Credo. I'm the founder of Seacoast Saucers of New England, a New England-based uh, organization that helps uh, have really hard conversations about really hard things, i.e. Uh, strange things that people see that they don't want to talk about in the sky, UFOs, strange lights. Sometimes people have really close encounters, and they don't really have anybody to talk to. And uh, there's a lot of people that are interested in the topic, so what we do is we give a forum for that. And you can find out more at uh, seacoastsaucers.com. Uh, I'm also uh, the interviewer and the brainchild behind something called the Galileo Interviews, where I interview people that have had either life-changing events or paranormal events that kind of question what reality is. And you can find out more about that on uh, just Facebook. To type in the Galileo Interviews to find out more information. And I have to, I keep on saying this. You're probably sick of me hear, hearing it from me, but... <laughs> Next to George Knapp on Coast to Coast AM, Chuck is the best interviewer I've ever worked with. Really, really good. Well, thank you. I paid you a lot of money, and here's the (laughs) 20 spot for saying that. That's it. Well, (laughs) hopefully the IRS isn't listening. All right. Alexander Petikoff, in his uh, first successful appearance on the show. uh, Round of uh, applause. (laughs) First of many, uh, certainly. Uh, I think uh, along with having the classiest name in the paranormal, Alexander has the best beard as well. So, Alexander, welcome aboard, finally, and uh, tell us about yourself. 
Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be in here finally on my first official kind of visit to the to the station here to be on the show. Um, I'm uh, coming to this kind of from a filmmaking perspective. That's what I'm more interested in, in cryptozoology, which is sort of the, the study of unknown and hidden animals, paranormal, lots of these kind of strange places. So I've interviewed people all across the country that have, that have been witnesses to various cryptozoological creatures like Sasquatch, uh, Champ, of course. I just In, in a week now, my, my first documentary series will be premiering. Um, so I come at it from that perspective. I've had some weird experiences out there, and I've been lucky enough to meet you guys. And congratulations on the 10th anniversary. It's uh, it's been a long run, and I'm sure you guys will keep yeah. it going great. And well, time I'm flies when you're having fun here right yeah. now. So excellent. That well, great to have all of you with us. Indeed. Okay, uh, Ben, why don't you get us started? What if I said no? Well, you'd be fired. <laughs> Oh, you can't fire your own son. <laughs> Alrighty, so everyone, welcome. Um, lots of listeners have sent in many, many questions over, you know, decades, or the decade, uh, but many of them realizing very astutely that uh, you three are, you know, parts of the group but have different experiences, and last month's expedition to the um, Triangle was a vast success. So they want to hear your stories about what happened there. So let's start with Chuck. Oh boy, what happened there? Jeez, <laughs> what didn't happened? Happen. What didn't happen? What did happen? Um, you know, I, I like to. I'm, I'm really big on creating narrative through what people's own experiences are. Uh, yeah, we staked a lot of things out. We heard some strange things. Um, but for me, we had uh, on the Saturday we had. Maybe I can take us back to that day. Sure. We had sort of a, an open forum where people from the community were coming down. Um, Paul and Ben, uh, actually, Paul, you did this presentation in which you talked a little bit about these flap areas where all this high strangeness happens. And it was really interesting. You gave me kind of free reign to be asking kind of open forum questions to everybody. And what was so fascinating was you asked this community, and we had, what, maybe 35 people there? Of those 35 people, everybody raised their hand to one question. And, and we didn't really talk about it or debrief after. Did you guys notice everybody had seen black helicopters in this area? Yes. Yeah. Was that not one of the strangest things to see everybody be like, yeah, these things are buzzing around all the time. They don't have numbers on them. Uh, and this is a player, uh, place where there is a lot of UFO sightings. They're, I mean, they're every day. And um, on top of that, you've got ghost sightings, paranormal things, cryptids, strange creatures. I mean, we heard a story from three generations. Alex and I went to a picnic table after we were kind of done with everything, and uh, we interviewed three generations, three generations that have been living around this property that told us stories prior to being interrupted by the skunk that uh, nestled <laughs> under an outhouse right by us, but that, that's a whole other story. Um, and their stories were unbelievable, and we'll probably get to the cryptid stuff a little bit later, but there's like this weird, right, Alex, like a monkey creature that looked like it was brushing off flies and on a wood pile. Like, do you remember that story? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of really interesting stories. So the, the mother um, was the oldest of the, th the three generations we interviewed. She had had actually a sighting of an upright creature kind of crossing a road or something along those lines many years many years ago, and then she had had a sighting later of some sort of what she described at first would look like a turkey. She thought it was a turkey standing out by the edge of the woods uh, near some tall grass, but she said it had these long arms and it was like a little, she described it as a monkey, which, you know, uh, we sort of maybe guesstimated that it could be some sort of juvenile type creature. That's sort of the description she gave. It was small and it was cautious and it was staying towards the woods, kind of avoiding coming out directly in the open. But that property has had 
uh, probably at least a decade or so of strange noises, um, all sorts of things that are more kind of Sasquatch, Bigfoot related in terms of the behaviors, as well as uh, the daughter seeing a glowing orb or something like oh, yeah. that um, while she was in a pool. So that was really interesting to interview just these people who have had the same sorts of experiences go on for for decades and for me it's interesting because i take it out of my kind of personal database of people i've interviewed in you know across the country who have had similar experiences like the the mimicking of the animal sounds sort of can we stop on that for a second because alex and i did this really cool interview with these three generations and i'm not into the whole bigfoot interviewing people around bigfoots i haven't done it he has his database is filled with stories from people that, you know, have had very similar things happening. So when he hears something, it's a lot like if I hear a story of a UFO and, and something clicks with me because I talk about that topic so much, right? Well, he's got a database of all sorts of things that seem interconnected. So at some point, can we talk about, like, the calling? Because <laughs> this is really funny. They had chickens. Remember the chicken story? Yeah, yeah. So the kind of how it went was they had, um, <laughs> this is interesting, but he described from the mid-'90s, so this was the uh, this was Buck, I believe, who was the um, sort of the middle of the three generations. Uh, he described from the mid-'90s until about 2006, 2007, they had strange noises emanating from the woods around their house. And this area is near a ravine where we kind of investigated the, the yeah. Uh, yeah. Shane, Paul, and I. And Chuck went down there one day as well. We set up a game camera, and we were staking out. There was a, a good track that had been found there years before and some sightings. They essentially had these noises going on that he was describing as like a dinosaur-like kind of growling. And there would be three to four of them coming from different spots in the woods all around the house. And it got to the point where it was such a nuisance, it just kept on going. And the moment you're about to fall asleep, it starts up again. He said it got to the point where they just were sick of it. And in the mornings, they were going to work or going to school. And, you know, they barely got any sleep. He said that stopped after about 10 years, and then it morphed into the mimicking of chicken noises. He said they'd put their chickens in at night, um, and then they would hear something moving around in the woods, but they'd hear a chicken noise. And they said, that's not one of our chickens. You, you can, he, he kind of described it as it was a, it would sound like a chicken, but you could tell it wasn't a chicken. He talked about how the chickens, you know, the hens would go to roost, and at what time, and, you know, and they kind of knew the sound of their chicken, and they'd account for all their chickens. And there was still this noise, but it was more guttural. It was almost like something was trying to mimic, and I'd never heard of such things before. Mm-hmm. And Alex is sitting there going, yeah, I've got tons of stories of Bigfoots trying to like create the same sounds of other animals, not necessarily chickens. Although, I don't know, have you ever heard of a chicken? I- I've heard of that before. I've also heard of... Um uh, farmers and people living in kind of remote areas. That's usually where these sort of sightings happen. I mean, this isn't going to happen in urban areas uh, where people have had their dogs being called the same way they call their dogs coming from the woods, and the dogs kind of stand there looking at you confused. You know, what what's going on? Who's that? You know, <laughs> what is this daddy? You know, kind of thing. So there's been a lot of stuff like that, the mimicking of crows, and that's that's one of the things that I think goes along with kind of the Sasquatch research is um, people hearing these sort of sounds that sound like an animal, but not exactly to that. Like someone's trying to imitate them, you know, and that that becomes then very problematic because you, you know, it's it's difficult enough to to kind of come across this. So when you're dealing with mimicking of animals and how close it can sound to a known animal, you might hear it and just totally disregard what you've heard. Okay, Chuck. So so 
here, here we are talking to this family, and uh, the dad, who is the second generation, is talking about like what Alex just said. These these guttural kind of like dinosaur sounds, and yeah, we actually tried to get him to make the sound. It was pretty funny. I have that recorded. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know how you make a sound that sounds like a dinosaur. I don't know what a dinosaur <laughs> sounds like, to be honest with you. But he gave it his best shot. Um, but what's so interesting is because these are three generations and they lived on this property for so many years, you've got a grandmother with a granddaughter and her son that are all sitting there. And they look over 20 years of history in which these noise come up for a two- to three-year period. They come on and off over months within a year or two. They go away for a year or two. They come back about three years later, and they, they cluster for days or weeks at a time. And you've almost got to wonder over the course of so many years why the noises come and go in such a pattern. It's very odd. Yeah, and I, you know, I was thinking about it afterwards, and, and I'm like, geez, it almost sounds like a migration pattern or something where they're here for a while and they leave, whatever this thing is. But well, I mean, the th- I think the thing to keep in mind is that this is, you know, it, I mean, it is rural Pennsylvania, yeah, but there's, it's not like vast forests that the that these that you know these creatures could reside in. It's a tiny area, like 30 acres or maybe a little more in cer- certain patchy areas. So, I mean, even if they did migrate, where would they go? Right, right. Well, they, they might go to get wings because Shane and I are yeah. wing connoisseurs, <laughs> and we found some really good wing places, but I digress. Well, let's get Shane in here. Just, just uh... Well, on, on what he just said, how, how it seems to come and go, um, th- that's typical in flap areas and all, um, all different types of activity, whether it's UFOs, haunted houses, or, you know, uh, paranormally active areas. Uh, we find in, in flap areas that that is typical that it will come and go, and there's there's certain things uh, that that are involved in that. Like, for instance, one flap area in, in southern New Hampshire, um, it was very very active. Um, hundreds of people have been witness to um, not only just UFOs and lights in the sky, but apparitions and strange activity um, in, in the, on this this big you know large property. Also, Sasquatch sightings and stuff like that. But they they drained a reservoir at one point, and when they drained the reservoir, all activity ceased. So and where is this? It's in southern New Hampshire. Um, Alex is familiar. It's, it's in the area of Wilton, uh, New Hampshire, but it, it expands beyond that. But the really kind of the center at the, the, of um, the activity was in Wilton. And um, when they drained the reservoir, they, there's a river that ran off of that reservoir that we find um, rivers and streams really charge up these paranormal flap areas. And, and so when that reservoir was empty, it had no river, it had no stream, and that, that took away one of those dynamics and the components that was charging this area, and everything stopped. Um, so, you know, based on what you just said, I, it, it could, you know, have something to do with the natural environment, you know, these components that are there that sometimes, you know, aren't or, um, you know, but as far as like what I've witnessed up in, um, over in Pennsylvania, you know, the listeners are familiar. I, I told the story, but I never expected when we went there, uh, the first time it was May in what, 2016? Yes. Pennsylvania, yeah. Yeah, Pennsylvania. I never expected to, um, I figured, you know, um, you know, we'll, we'll go there and hopefully get pictures of lights in the sky. We'll deal with the shadow person house, which we did. Uh, we also got lights in the sky, but never did I expect to see something in the woods. Uh, you had laid down for a little while around 3 p.m. And yeah, the, the reason was interesting for that, too. Right, yeah. 
So I went and I was pretty wet because it was pouring rain and I, I sat in my SUV down by the pavilion in the camp area that they have there and I was getting the, the trail cams ready. I was going to set them out once the rain let up. I was also trying to dry off a little bit when something caught my attention. I looked up probably to my one, two o'clock, about 150 feet away or so, 100, 150 feet away. And through a thin tree line, I saw what appeared to be three black things moving around um, until I realized it was one black thing that stopped in between two trees. There's no way with the torrential downpour and um, I was going to get a good picture of it. So I, I wanted to drive up there. I had a camera in my hand. was ready. As soon as I hit the gas, the thing took off. It flushed three deer out of the woods. I tried to cut it off. It was long gone. I backed back up. I took note before I put, put it in drive that this thing was as tall as a sign. I walked up to the sign. The sign is at least you know like a foot and a half to two foot taller than I am, which made it about seven and a half to eight, eight foot tall, whatever this thing was. It had gigantic arms. Um, and then, you know, on all the visits, heard very strange noises come from the woods, especially the one that, that one of you, Alex or uh, Chuck, you, you dubbed it the drunken samurai. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been both of us. I don't even yes, remember. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we were all talking about it. And one of them, yeah, it was funny, but, um, but yeah, there was two. There was one with the higher pitch voice, one with the uh, deeper voice. Either side of the camper that I was sitting on, sit, uh, laying in um, at night, and they, they were going back and forth, and just this really weird, bizarre. You could tell they knew what they were talking about, you know, and I had no clue, but it was just really garbled and weird. Um, and it, it kind of sounded like those, um, what is it, the Sierra? Sierra recordings um, that were quite popular. Um, it sounded just like that when Chuck, I mean, um, Alex, he, he brought that up to me. He goes, Oh, it sounds like you. It's almost like those Sierra recordings. I'm like, oh my god, I had forgotten all about that. And he's he's right. That's exactly what it sounded like. So if, if can we tell people what the drunken samurai is, though, <laughs> can we just try to like what that's about? Because people are probably listening, going like, what what does he mean? Like, what what's the drunken samurai? If you look up Sierra recordings, you can listen to that. But it was just really bizarre. It was like. Bleh, 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 bleh. So this is Chuck's way of like uh, making fun of me, but but but, but that's exactly kind of what it sounded like. Right. Uh, Alec had a point. Yeah, I just wanted to add on to Shane's point about the water. So of course, all living things as well need water. So a lot of sightings that have to do with Sasquatch take place near rivers, near kind of tributaries, reservoirs, ponds, because this is a water source. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I mean, in this area as well in Pennsylvania, you have the stream going right through there. And one thing I did want to add on as well about specifically Pennsylvania, Ohio, kind of the more midwestern areas. Uh, those places, like Ben s- mentioned, they don't have that much woods like we have here in New England or out west. So, But regardless, Ohio and Pennsylvania are in the top ten for, for Bigfoot sightings nationwide after the Pacific Northwest yeah. with the rainforests out there. So um, I've heard this in multiple places in Ohio that people report almost like a cyclical uh, you know, presence of these creatures coming through certain times of the year, which um, I necessarily I don't necessarily believe that there's a sort of migrational pattern, you know, in, into different states and whatnot. But I think if you look at these small patches of woods, there's enough territory for creatures to move in. I mean, this is how other animals move through. I mean, you had in in, in uh, suburban Connecticut a couple of years ago, they killed a mountain lion that was all the way from North Dakota. Oh yeah. So that would have traveled through these little kind of pockets of woods, and at night. You know, anything can kind of move through these areas. It's their element. It's not our domain where, mm-hmm. you know, you put us in the middle of the woods at night and we're elephants kind of trudging through trying to <laughs> find our way without a flashlight. You know, it's almost yeah. hopeless. So that is uh, true. Yeah. creatures with night vision 
are going to be able to navigate much e- much with much more ease, actually. Uh, ben, do you have anything else to say? Uh, I, I wanted to share something, if we would like to hear it, uh, from our good friend Lon Strickler. It sounds it, like you're going to say it anyway, so... <laughs> well, it sounds like, yes, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I recently received a telephone call from an eyewitness who claims uh, to have observed an upright canine cryptid okay, in Cambria County, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a place to be. The eyewitness, an older gentleman named John, stated to me that he had been at the Wilmore Reservoir on Friday, June 1st, 2018. So this is only, you know, like a week ago. He had been fishing on the lake. Now, th- this is perhaps 60 to 80 miles south of our Pennsylvania Triangle. Maybe it's part of the Pennsylvania Triangle. At dusk, between 8 and 8.30 p.m., he noticed something in the edge of the nearby woods, a bipedal creature. As he focused on the being, he soon realized that it was white in color, and it resembled a wolf on two legs watching me, quote-unquote. John described the being as totally white in color, fur and skin, with a large wolf-like head. The body was tapered with an extremely thin waist and thick muscular chest. The arms were long and muscular with long fingers. The hocked legs also had a well-defined, very muscular build. The arms, legs, and head were fur-covered, <clears throat> while the torso and chest were sparsely fur-covered. He estimated the height was at least seven feet. The creature was looking at John for several seconds, then turned to its right and walked along the edge for about 20 to 30 feet. Then it ducked into the trees. There were a few other people in the general vicinity, but no one else re- reacted to the creature. John was hesitant to report the sighting and later found my sighting report advised on advertisement on Google. He agreed to talk by telephone but does not wish to be contacted in person. He lives in Portage, Pennsylvania, a town where three other sightings have been made in the last few years. The Pennsylvania Lichen Investigations team has been to Portage and talked. I don't, I don't know them. I don't, do any of you know them? We'll have to find out. The exact location nope. of the sighting is being withheld since our team plans to follow up on this report. There is sighting after sighting after sighting, not only of Bigfoot, but of uh, what our friend Linda Godfrey calls upright canine cryptids. Uh, things that you've—I've heard of things from the people we've spoken to in the Pennsylvania Triangle that I've never heard of before, like, like the monkey-type creatures. Uh, we had one report on our first trip down there in the Sixteen, and something had dropped out of a tree. It was, I think it was—it was Buck, right? Yeah, yep. Whose last name will remain anonymous. Turned around, and there's almost like an orangutan kind of thing uh, that apparently had been on a branch that had broken right behind him. And uh, these stories go on and on and on. You know, when 80% of a population of an area tells you something, then, you know, they can't all be nuts. So, Alec. Just to add on really quickly, I don't know where exactly in Pennsylvania this uh, sighting occurred, but you said it was kind of southwest or south? Uh, kind of south, yeah. It's south. Cambria so, County south. So there is an area south of the area that we were in that's called the Chestnut Ridge near Kecksburg, yes. which is described as one of these areas where they have all sorts of things that have happened, including these kind of, as what Linda Godfrey has kind of looked into, the the dogman type stuff, the, dog the werewolf-looking yes. creatures, and yeah. it's, it's in one of these areas. So Pennsylvania seems to be filled with these kind of strange... Strange places where people report seeing weird things. And, I mean, yeah. believe in it or not, people are seeing strange things. that They can't explain it. So uh, it's it's definitely something that's worth looking into. Shane. And not only that, um, just to kind of expand on that, too, um, David Pilates of the Missing 411, he dubbed Pennsylvania as being the, the strangest out of 
all the United States has the strangest unexplained missing persons cases of all. Like, by far, he said, by far the, the most strangest unexplainable cases of uh, people going missing for weird reasons and just how they're found or if they're never found. Um, but under the, you know, the most bizarre circumstances, uh, Pennsylvania has been his, his go-to for that, too. So, yeah, uh, there's obviously something's connected there. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that struck me, too, was that people are... I mean, these people are the salt of the earth down there. They're the most wonderful people in the world, and almost all of them who came to our town hall meeting, which was the third one of those we've had, uh, this was in a lar- larger venue. Ordinarily, we would have uh, our previous two were in a private home, and still like like 15 or 20 people would show up. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I conducted one, Shane, in 2016. Ben and I conducted one in 2017. And, of course, uh, the group of us uh, conducted this last one just a few months ago. And uh, everybody except two or three people agreed to be interviewed on camera. And then, of course, the family, the three generations, uh, went aside with with you fellows and, and did that uh, very, very interesting interview. So uh, we are currently expanding the scope of that particular case, and we're going to be... Um, We'll talk a little bit about uh, more about it after the break, okay? So we are at our bottom of our first hour here of our two-hour special of our 10th anniversary of our show. And uh, when we come back, I wanted to just share a few of the highlights of the show, maybe if you fellows wanted to do the same uh, through our history and then get back to our Pennsylvania case. But you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, our tenth, our going into our eleventh year on the air, and the seventieth year of WON twelve forty. So we're we're batting a thousand here. So we'll be right back. Hey, music lovers, it's Dave Russell. Please note the day and time, and spread the news that good music is alive and well every Sunday on ON twelve forty from ten a.m. to noon on my new run with Sinatra. It's been a long nine years since the last time, but Frank hasn't aged a day, and talk about good music. You're assured of hearing the best, because we only choose the prime cuts from Frank's incomparable career. So it's 10 to noon on Sundays with Frank and Dave, and you, I hope. Okay, welcome back already. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, our 10th anniversary show here on ON 1240. And we're going to continue our conversation. We have a number of charities that show was adopted that's available on our website, all the links uh, at uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. Please support them if you can. And uh, we will talk a little bit more about them during our announcement period. Uh, we're here with our first, this is the first time we've done an in-studio panel. It's a new format. We're going to do it every eight to ten weeks, we hope. We have Alexander Petikoff, a great filmmaker, great friend. Uh, Charles Credo, uh, UFO expert, uh, founder of Seacoast Saucers of New England, and our very dear friend Shane Searway, who is a very familiar to all of us on the show as a regular co-host and uh, of TrueGhost.com. And, of course, Ben is here keeping us all together electronically, uh, manning the board. And I'm Paul. So let's, uh, let's just continue. I wanted to just maybe very briefly hit a few of the, the historical high spots of our 10 years on the air. Uh, we were approached by... Someone we'd never heard of before, uh, Bill Sharp of Achieve Radio in Phoenix in uh, the early part of 08. Ben was uh, had just turned 16 years old. And he said, why don't you, you know, you, people love you as a show guest. Why don't you have your own show? I said, well, I don't know. I never thought of that. So sure enough, there we were <clears throat> starting in June of 2008. 
on this little station uh, and uh, sort of an internet network. And then uh, shortly thereafter, we were invited, uh, actually in 2009, we were invited to uh, join uh, WON 1240 here. Uh, Dave Richards, uh, an old friend of mine, said, uh, you know, it's a pretty interesting show. We don't have anything like it. Uh, so we started in a, in, a, in a Saturday morning slot, which is generally considered the worst time to be on the radio, uh, terrestrial radio anyway, because no, nobody's listening. But but that that grew into, people were listening, and that grew into uh, a Monday evening drive time slot with many, many listeners who were stuck in traffic in Boston and Providence, and whether whether they uh, were more frustrated by us or not, I, I don't know. But also, uh, that very same month, uh, actually November of 2009, uh, CBS radio contacted us, and they were starting a new network called the Sky Net- part of the network, and they had a bunch of shows, and they wanted us to be one of their anchor shows. And uh, so there we go, blasting off the top of the Prude in Boston at 50,000 watts, uh, and then Detroit, uh, two stations in Pittsburgh, and then Seattle, where I was uh, rather where uh, my wife's, uh, Ben's mom's cousins in Seattle were astounded to turn on the radio one day, and there was Ben, <laughs> he almost fell over. So we had a great four-and-a-half-year run on CBS, uh, while also doing a second show uh, here on ON 1240. And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, <clears throat> you know, they tell you they're canceling your show at the end of your la- of what you don't realize is your last show, because they don't want you whining about it on the air. And I, I get that. But CBS, apparently that part of the network was uh, was losing money, and we were told... Our show and one other were the only two making money, so that they canceled that part of the network. But we have our, our faithful and happy home here at ON 1240 uh, all through that time, and here we still are. So thank you, everyone, for the great support. Supposedly, we have up to 3 million listeners. That's what one of the producers of CBS told us anyway. And so um, from the volume of emails, a lot of them came with us. We have huge listenerships, of course, in the U.S., Canada, also uh, Australia, the U.K., and Mexico. We're, we're pleased to say. I don't know why particularly Mexico, but that's great. Uh, one of the things I've been told by one, uh, several of our listeners there is that uh, they were very interested in our treatment of the Bruja cases, Bruja being Spanish for witch, uh, the flying humanoid uh, recording uh, and videos that, that have been taking place, particularly around Monterey, where we have a lot of listeners. We were told by one uh, group in Mexico that they get together every Sunday uh, and they, they listen to us as a group. Presumably they all speak English, so there we go. So we're very, very grateful to all our listeners and to our great friends such as yourselves. And we picked up over the years uh, speaking at conferences and, and just on the show here. And it's a, it's a show we like to think that brings people together. Except Shane. He's the only one that was pre-show. Pre-show, yes. <laughs> I've been working with Shane since 1998, and you watched Ben grow up. How old was Ben when you first met him? He was knee-high. He was, he was little, but I'll tell you what. I, was, I, was, I told you this before. I was, I was amazed by him immediately he was i'm like what a sh-. he was sharp as attack and i mean i couldn't believe how intelligent well-spoken he was and he continues to expand on that but uh <laughs> but i also want to take this opportunity too is uh to thank the listeners for accepting me you know um on this venue and this the show um and and i get emails from them quite often um just whether it's a compliment or just asking questions or whatever but um and anyone that you know we can talk about on the air i I bring to your attention but usually it's just just you know people reaching out and i appreciate that so thank you very much well thank you and i I have to mention that with fatherly pride that when we went on the air on cbs uh in 2009 ben was 16 he was the youngest syndicated broadcaster in america 
So I think that's kind of cool. Here I am, 26. (laughs) Yes, yes, 26 and married. How old am I? Anyway, again, thank everyone for all all the support. And uh, let me give our our numbers again, uh, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or from anywhere in the multiverse, 401-766-1240. We have some other people calling in today, yeah? We do, yeah. So they're kind of... It's supposed to be a surprise. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are a couple of... Uh, the no major, one's calling uh, in today. Major headliners. <laughs> well, people have told us they don't like to call in because they're so fascinated by what we're saying, uh, our group, that they don't want to interrupt. So, I mean, I, we I, that's very complimentary, but please call in if you want. Okay, so uh, getting back to our Pennsylvania case, we, we are not an organized group. There's no... First deputy assistant honcho, no lead, whatever. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, first thing of the old saying is first thing Americans do if they're uh, they're cast away in a desert island is to form a committee, right? Uh, elect a <laughs> president and a uh, separate then a uh, third deputy assistant honcho. We don't do that. We're, we're a group of, of good friends, all have different skills, and uh, we don't wing it, but and we plan, but we bring our skills independently to whatever we're doing. So. When we are dealing with the Pennsylvania case, we're talking about flap areas, and that, that term has come up. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's, uh, it, it approaches sort of a unified theory of what's going on in the paranormal. And it's funny, when, when I got up to give that presentation on that Saturday uh, in May uh, for the, the town hall meeting, I said, my gosh, I'm going to present theories. I don't know if we all agree on these theories. I mean, we're great friends. We're working together now uh, here and there. And... The the idea of the multiverse, the idea of parallel worlds being responsible for most or all paranormal phenomena, whether it be ghosts, UFOs, shadow people, Bigfoot, cryptids, all the things that are seen in these flap areas and that are seemingly unrelated, at least traditionally. So, I mean, um, I, and I don't, I don't, none of us speaks for the whole group, but, I mean, what what are your thoughts on exactly what, the uh, the situation is here, uh, the mechanics, what the process might be. Chuck? I can speak for myself. Uh, the first time that I ever met you and Ben, we were at a paranormal conference next to each other, sitting next to each other. And um, I remember asking you, what do you think this is all about? And when you started talking about this, a light bulb clicked. And I don't know, I, we've talked about it since, but it's, well, it was like... I tripped over the wire next to the desk. <laughs> we, you know, it was like, oh my God, here's somebody that is talking about the same things that I believe in, but just articulating them so much better. And I, I just remember going back to my table going, I have got to get to know these guys better because they're on to it. That well, was my that, first I thought. I guess that worked Yeah, in the sense of getting to know it. And, you know, no matter what you're interested in, I almost feel like whether you're talking about cryptids, you know, like, like Alex, or you're talking about UFOs, or you're talking about ghosts, you know, like, like Shane, it's all the same thing. In some form, you know, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I think there is a connection. That connection being the things that you've talked about all these years since I've known you, you know, there's something coming in and out of our reality. There is a multiverse theory that I think can equate for all of these things at various times. And you add into it the possibility, are we in a holographic reality and these things are just coming in and out, a multiverse, all of that. I think there's so many possibilities. I just know that the common belief of what a ghost is or a UFO or a Bigfoot doesn't seem to always work. That's the one thing I can always go back to. The only thing that I have found that works are, are what we're talking about here with the multiverse theory. You know, That's yeah. the only thing that makes sense to me. I don't well, know we're, we're the first ones to admit that we could be wrong, but a lot of people seem to 
think we're not wrong, and there's a long way to go. Alec? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. It's an interesting theory. I've, I've certainly heard it before. Uh, to speak specifically in the Pennsylvania case, so what, what I'm interested in is history. So I'm huge on history. I, I like to look into cases and whatever type of phenomena and kind of backtrack, see if there's things that have been happening in the past, even pre-European, especially in the North American context. You're going to look at what the Native Americans and the tribes had to say about you know, a certain myth or a certain creature or phenomena. So what really interested me about the Pennsylvania case was the fact that uh, a lot of uh, the kind of the, the, the burials had been found there, the Native American yes. burials, and then the connection with the possible meteor or asteroid mm-hmm. that sort of hit that area. So there's this pre-existing sort of presence. And, I mean, this was no ordinary Native American burial ground, right? They were reportedly all lined up in the same direction except for one, and there was a kind of a new pottery style that was discovered there. So clearly it was significant. If you look at these other sites throughout that area in Ohio with the mounds and a lot of these places, they all sort of have a certain kind of energy. So that back history really intrigued me because mm-hmm. you have the same sort of things kind of continuing to the, into the modern day. And then you, yeah. as, we, as we said, speaking to the witnesses was huge because you get a an idea of how farther, you know, how much further back in time this has been going on just in the past 50 years or so, ever since this property has been in the possession of, of this family. So that's a really interesting perspective for me. You know, is there a history? Is it, did it just start last year? Did somebody mm-hmm. get see a TV show on this and just say, oh, I live in a flap area? Yeah. Or is there a history that goes back beyond individuals? And that really piqued my interest, especially with, with uh, this Pennsylvania case. Yeah. Shane, any thoughts? Yeah, all these things, like we said, they seem to be happening in, in you know, the same areas, like whether it's cryptids, you know, Sasquatch, or, or even UFOs and, and haunted homes. Uh, they seem to, to be concentrated in certain areas, um, in very active areas anyways, um, in which we, we called um, flap areas. So um, the only difference between them all, because they, they seem to come and go the same way, they seem to happen in the same areas, the only difference that I can pull away from the, the, are the parasitic entities who seem to be able to come and go in these areas just as, as well as the other things or, or attracted to these areas um, for the same reasons, except for the parasitic entities who are definitely life forms that feed off of emotional energies and, and um, bringing up Native Americans. Um, they've actually, you know, been talking about that for many, many years. And they, they there's, you know, they say there's parasitic ones, but they also say that there's... Um, uh, inorganic ones that that come from the negativity in our environment that are are you know created from that. Um, but but what what I find what we deal with the, the parasitic entities that are definitely initiated or attracted to and feed off of our emotional energies, and that's the only difference between like them all between the UFOs and the Sasquatch and these parasitic entities. Uh, but other than that, they 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 all fit in that same nest, you know. Yeah. Well, as Ben said, Shane is pre-show. Uh, we, we first met in 1998, so 20 years ago, at a case right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. uh, and we were called, well, I actually, I was called in by the, by the police because they, they had had a weird experience at this house. They would go up to the house, there was a noise complaint, I heard all this noise, and they got to the house and it was absolutely, there was nobody there. They went back to the cruiser, noise, went, and nobody there. So they didn't know what else to do. So, uh oh, better call me. And I didn't, you know, and it was, and so, uh, we met there, uh, totally unbeknownst to the other. He called, the man who lived there called you in separately. Right. And, uh, I, I, 
didn't know you from Ed. There you were in the car, saw the New Hampshire plate, and we were brothers from day one. Yep. And then we went, I had no idea what you were going to say, and we went in and sat down with the man, and we both said, told him the same things, which was essentially what we're talking about now, you know, bringing positive energy and, and the whole business. And um, he said, if you both say it, I guess I better do it. So we were backing each other up from day one, and uh, it's been um, interesting uh, ever since. Yeah, so and the parasite, parasite took off, to, and so didn't his cancer that he had at yeah, the same time, yeah. which was amazing. Well, there was no thanks to me. I mean, you have a way with these parasites. I mean, they see you coming. They're heading the other direction. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> it's amazing. So, <clears throat> so Ben, uh, any thoughts here as we proceed uh, on the Pennsylvania case? Now, you've only been there once, but you had... Uh, it was interesting. We had um, actually. We, we, we it takes a long time to review footage and recordings when we, when we, we go down there. And uh, we had one. Uh, everybody was winging an eye over this. Uh, something stalking around in the woods turned out to be you. Oh yeah, so, yeah, I know. Oh hey, look at that. Yes, this you is have a, your SD card. We back. should have a ceremony. I don't know which one it is. Chuck, but. A day of firsts. Okay, great. Right here. Excellent, outstanding. All right, so let's move on. We have another question, uh, a sort of mass question that came in from a bunch of listeners, Ben. Uh, if you could, um, all right, so that we can get into another subject. Well, of course, because without a subject, there is no show. So the the question is this, panelists: uh, What does each panelist think about ghosts and demons and poltergeists and all of that stuff? So starting with Alex. Sure. So uh, it's not exactly my cup of tea in the sense that I don't kind of look for that sort of stuff. I'm, as I mentioned, I'm more of the cryptozoology sort of side of things. But, uh, you know, I think that there's definitely something to it. I mean, we've probably all had experiences that we can't really explain involved with this sort of stuff. I certainly have, you know, personal sort of things. I don't really get into that much, but I definitely have a... Uh, sort of knowledge that there's clearly something going on with this sort of stuff. And that's, that's kind of where I'm going to leave it. You know, I don't really have too much else to con- con- contribute. Uh, and I apologize, I'm just getting over the tail end of a virus, so I probably sound pretty terrible. But <laughs> just putting that out there. Okay. Uh, Chuck, what say you? So the question was ghosts and what else? Um, oh, ghosts, poltergeists, and demons. And demons. It was okay. essential. That, the word demon figured in many of the emails. You know, I'm one of these people, I, I like to think that I'm a spiritual kind of guy. And, uh, you know, the term demon, one person can hear that, and their idea of a demon might be different than another person. And um, I, uh, I personally think that we can create negative energy with thought. Um, I've been interviewing a lot of people who, um, interestingly enough, um, it, it's almost like in, in, there's a term called topa, which is, you know, the, the general term is, is thought creating reality, creating things out of group consciousness itself. And I think that the more energy we put into things, the more we create certain ideals. And that could be, whether it be demon, if you start to say, hey, there's a demon haunting my house, maybe you create those things sometimes. I'm always wary of seeing things in a negative light. I like to think that, you know, I've interviewed enough people that have seen ghosts to know there's something to it. I've talked to enough people like Shane, like you guys, who have had experiences with things that other people would call demons. I wouldn't call them demons. I'd call them like, probably like you, parasitic entities. So I know there's something to it. What causes it? I tend to think it, it is more about what reality is, how we perceive reality, and um, and those sorts of things. Shane? 
Yeah, and I, I think they're both right. But um, you know, as far as like the tulpas and stuff like that, like um, I've actually con- did experiments because you know what I used to say I kind of like reverse engineer someone's haunt, so I have to like break down their history, find out when the haunt started, and and kind of so if I can do that, I can manipulate those those factors and then break that connection, make the entity go away, um, or or hurt its ability to stick around and do what it's doing. So. If I can put those things in place, you know, do it the opposite and actually create a hunt. So I've been able to do that. And it'd be similar to the way they would um, create a tulpa. But I think um, I, I think our negative energy can sometimes create certain things that happen by sin. More so, it, it brings in these life forms that feed off of that negativity and their actual life forms. And, and, um, and, you know, so without us feeding it attention and fear and, 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 uh, negative vulnerable emotional states, they can't exist. And, and, uh, but that's, that's what brings them in. That's what keeps them there. And you take those things away and they disappear. But the, it's what people would call, you know, demons, poltergeists, archons or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, there's also some certain alien species that people claim that, uh, operate the same way you know off of fear and, and negativity so um but we like we said we we talk about this a lot on the show we believe that they're life forms uh ben thoughts well i mean i've been i've been on this show for 10 years and my thoughts really <laughs> have it well they actually ca- have kind of changed over time um you know you learn new things you experience new things talk to a lot of different people and it changes your your viewpoint on on a, on a lot and um I've had I've had the privilege of working with my father for so long and meeting all of you fine people and you know through much like college should be you talk to people and your viewpoint changes and you think all right well maybe this is what we're dealing with or this is what we're dealing with and I like to think that I know things but really in the end I don't know anything at all and you know it's when when I am considered an expert, it's I mean I don't know I I like to I like to think of it like how Anthony Peake said last week, and he was just like you know I'm I'm not really an expert I'm just a guy who asks questions, mm-hmm. and I, I I really liked that. Although I would I would say you know there's a difference between asking questions and you know looking for answers to said questions. So I think that you know it's all it's all based on perspective. How you view something and how you walk into the experience is how it's going to be experienced by you. Because I had this thought the other day when I, I was driving, because now for work I do a lot of driving, so therefore I have a lot more time to think. And I was thinking about how, you know, our our great ancestors, you know, they would they had all these crazy different gods and stuff. And I started reading American Gods by Neil Gaiman, which is a very interesting book. And I, I was thinking about it because it's it, the book is based on a premise that's essentially that was you know postulated by this. Um, professor from like the University of Chicago back in the 70s that was like you know what happened to all of these mythological creatures and gods or whatever from the old worlds when you know people came to America you know sometimes they bring them with them you know sometimes they don't you know do they just cease to exist and I thought about that because you know you still hear people talk about fairies and, and leprechauns and stuff but not to the extent that you know our ancestors did and I thought about it, and I was like, these things were very real for our ancestors. You know, they wouldn't have made stories about it if they didn't experience mm. something. You know, if their belief system and how they experience things comes into play, then they perceive the experience in a certain way. It's like, you know, how miracles in, you know, the Christian churches, you know, whether it's the East or West, are very, very different. In the West, it's all focused on, like, very, very physical things, you know, the stigmata and, like, 
all of that, where it's, you know, focused on very physical things. Whereas in the East, you know, miracles are more focused on, like, you know, flying and, like, being able to, like, you know, emit light from seemingly nowhere and all, all this. And, you know, I think the perspective and how the human mind takes an experience and sort of registers it and manifests it. Manifest is a terrible word, but it's the only word I can use to describe it. It changes how things are viewed. And really the only constant that I've seen in, in my time in the fields is that the only real link to any of these things is that they have to be coming from somewhere. And that somewhere might not be somewhere we can initially get to physically, or perhaps it is even, you know, multiversal, which, you know, makes the most sense because whatever these things are, are carrying on their lives in their own sort of way, regardless if we're participating in it or not. So humanism is dead. It's dumb. It's a terrible concept because human exceptionalism just doesn't work because there's more out there than just us. Well, the term multiverse, <clears throat> a lot of people think it originated with us. Well, by no means. I mean, we, we just think it's true. It originated in uh, 1895, I believe, with the novelist Henry James, <clears throat> who was actually talking about that. There's also the term metaverse or omniverse as well. Now, one of the early advocates of this in modern times was uh, Jacques Vallée, uh, whom uh, the tremendous French, uh, now living in California, uh, expert who said that there's got to be some sort of connection between all these things. They can't be independent. You know, speaking of UFOs, Bigfoot, and all this sort of thing. Uh, the uh, the great uh, John Keel, who I related to because he was a journalist, newspaper journalist like myself, uh, and he went down during the Mothman events in the mid-1960s and covered these events and got more than he bargained for with the UFO sightings and the, the whole Mothman being or beings manifesting, and that, that's the term the press gave the, the, uh, the creatures, you know, the name, the Mothman. Uh, and then on all the way to Brad Steiger, who just passed away like a month and a half ago, two months ago, uh, who was considered a pretty much a ghost researcher but believed in this sort of a multiverse idea. As a matter of fact, he talked John Keel into the idea that Bigfoot and UFOs are related somehow. You know, So th- these were the people who went before, certainly us, and that, but these ideas, I don't, I don't think, ever spread all that, that uh, well in the pop, paranormal, ghost-hunting, quote-unquote, community. Well, I think that's more of a cultural thing, because how people view view the paranormal is, you know, it's all separate things. It's like, you know... When, um, like marketing, right? So it's like, you know, you, you, they, they market Advil as like something, you know, you take this once, your pain's gone. But little do you know that it affects every other part of your body too. It destroys your liver hmm. and your stomach. So it's actually very bad for you. So it's, so, you know, everything in, in thought in, you know, the modern culture is very compartmentalized. Everything mm-hmm. else is, is separate. It's like, you know, I have, I have my work life, my home life, you know, my paranormal life, but really, in all, it's pretty much all together. There's that, that illusion of everything being separated from everything else is just not there. Yeah. So I think that that's more of a cultural thing that, that creeped into, you know, the, the thought process of the modern pop person. Yeah. Well, we, we treat all points of view with respect because maybe we're wrong. That's the thing. Uh, however, just before, I want to get back to the panel here, but, uh, I just wanted to point out a rather, uh, uh, odd synchronicities that have occurred in, uh, in the connection with the show's history, one of them, I should, it's probably the last 
group I should tell this to, but you're not, strictly speaking, you're not guests, you're kind of like semi-co-host today. Uh, a number of guests have died immediately after being on the show, okay, uh, which is something we find rather disconcerting. I didn't mean laugh, but... Uh, yeah. That and, yeah, so, yeah, 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 laugh it up. I just laughed. I think it was a nervous laugh. <laughs> yes. I, oh, I, was just, I was nervous for you guys, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're kidding, right, Paul? Uh, one of these was uh, as prominent as Jesse Marcel Jr. Uh, I believe we were the last interview he ever did. Um, and which I regret very much. Wonderful person. Wanted to get to know him better, but what are you going to do? Uh, Susan Susan Martin uh, Susan Martin, the uh, the the police psychic, uh, died immediately after being on the show. Uh, Robert Wilde from Scotland, uh, also the same thing. And th- there were a number of others who uh, either had accidents or, were, or or died immediately after, almost within the week of of being on the show. So uh, that's the last I'm going to say about that. Let's get back to today's guest. I'll make sure that I do the speed limit on the way home. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. You're going all the way back to Maine. I'm already sick. I'm concerned now. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. Anyway, unfortunately, uh, that has has been the case. But uh, it hasn't happened in a long time. So so that's good. Yeah, I mean, if that makes you feel any better. Yeah, Um, do is what you're trying to say, Paul. Exactly. So, Alec... uh, there, there is another question that, that sort of arises uh, from a number of listeners, and that is, um, does, and th- this would apply to this group because of our age, you're the youngest, Alec, and I'm obviously the oldest. Th- a lot of number of people have asked, in the paranormal realm, uh, what is a good age, if there is a good age, to get into whether it be cryptid research, UFO research, ghost research, uh, or flap area research in general? Or should people generally be advised to stay away from it and not to seek it out? Uh, what's your take on who should investigate the paranormal, why, and when? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there really is an age sort of restriction. Anyone can pick up a book. Anyone can watch a documentary on the subject. I think it's a little bit different, as you said, uh, trying to what age you should actually start physically researching it. I mean, I don't think if you're, you know, a toddler, you probably shouldn't be running around the woods looking for Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, then wasn't That's, quite that young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, I, I think you know, age is sort of kind of an arbitrary thing. I, anyone, you know, from my experience, you know, I got into this kind of because I was interested in things like the Yeti, the Abominable Snowman. I read the books, I looked at the documentaries, I was very much armchair kind of research kind of guy. Mm. And then later on in life, you know, in my late teens and early 20s is when I started saying, hey, I can use my filmmaking skills as a way to kind of investigate this. Like uh, Ben was saying earlier, I don't really consider myself a researcher or an expert in really anything because, you know, what do we know at the end of the day? I just sort of like to ask questions. You know, I go around and I've done these kind of interesting cryptids and cases and just ask people their experiences. And I try to honestly tell their stories as as best as I can without sensationalizing it, which I think is what a lot of reality TV and, and Hollywood does these days with the paranormal subjects, which is why people don't take it as seriously. But um, as for age, you know, if, if you're a young kid, you know, I know plenty of people that are young cryptozoologists um, that have just started reading about the subject and they sort of build a, a, a base of knowledge in their mind and then from there move on and then actually start going out in the field and, and doing whatnot. It's a lot of fun. I mean, who doesn't like to go out in the woods and do all sorts of things? So I, I don't think there should be anyone telling you don't get into it. You know, do whatever you feel is right. Do whatever is comfortable. Ultimately have fun with it because if you're not having fun with it, what's the point? Exactly. Well, we're going to come back to our panel shortly. We're coming up on our uh, top of the hour break here. 
And uh, we are going to just ask you to listen to the wonderful news of the world and the weather. And we'll be right back. As I say, this is a two-hour special. Usually we're ending about now. I'm very happy to say that we have our great panel. Of course, Ben and myself, uh, Alexander Petikoff, Charles Credo, and Shane Searway. And we will be right back uh, after the... Um, messages, whatever, whatever's going on at the top of the hour, and we'll continue our discussion uh, on uh, all areas of the paranormal, and we do invite you to call in or send an email, and we expect uh, one or two very special callers as we go. Uh, into I thought it was a hour. surprise. Well, I didn't say who it was. That's, uh, that is true. It's still, it's still surprising. Okay, well, it'll be a surprise, I hope. So, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, we will be right back. Broadcasting live and local, daily from the corner of Park Avenue and Kennedy Street. This is WOON, Woonsocket Radio. And now, the news. NBC News Radio, I'm A.P. Herald. White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow tells CNN State of the Union that Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau stabbed the U.S. in the back after Trudeau, following the G7 summit, stated that Canada will not be pushed around with U.S. tariffs. All eyes on tiny Singapore ahead of Tuesday's powwow between President Trump and North Korea's Kim Jong-un. Justify wins yesterday's Belmont Stakes to capture the Triple Crown trainer Bob Baffert. All week, you know, since the Preakness, we uh, felt really good about this horse and um, shipped in here really well. When I saw him train the first day here, he was just, just, just he went around there like, you know, they're supposed to go around there and... The Defense Department says Staff Sergeant Alexander Conrad of Chandler, Arizona, was the soldier killed Friday in Somalia. Major League Baseball, Cubbies and Buckos from the friendly confines. AP Herald, NBC News Radio. Gators Pub now has its own smokehouse, featuring an extensive variety of menu items, including St. Louis ribs, cod brisket, chicken wings, meatloaf, stuffed peppers, mac and cheese, plus their own bacon and sausage. You'll enjoy the aroma and the taste. Gators continues to serve excellent seafood, sandwiches, and burgers. Check out the creative salads, too, like beef tip Caesar salad and taco salad. They feature clam chowder, daily soups, and spicy chili. Check their website at GatorsPub.com for more details, including their catering menu. Gators Pub on Victory Highway, North Smithfield, open seven days a week. Be ready for spring with a new hairstyle and cut by specialist Diane. She'll make you look great and feel great with a style of your own. Diane offers services for men, women, and children. Just call 508-883-9917. Why not call today? Drop by Diane's and have her give you gals a look like Meg Ryan, you guys like maybe Tom Cruise, or any star you choose. Diane's the best, so give it a rest and be ready to look your best at Diane's. Call 508 883 9917. Do it today or stop by Diane's Barber Stylist at 43 Farm Street in Blackstone. You already know that Park Square Florist can provide fresh, fragrant flowers for any occasion, including weddings, anniversaries, funerals, and birthdays. But did you also know they offer wonderful gifts for that special graduate? Park Square Florist offers enchanting crystal angels and crystal bears. The Crystal Angel is perfect for teachers, daughters, or anyone needing an angel of hope or an angel of faith. Crystal Bear is good for a thank you, get well soon, or congratulations. The angel and the bear are only $8.50 each. Come see the complete line of Crystal Angels and Crystal Bears at Park Square Florist, 1300 Park Avenue, One Socket.
This ON 1240 forecast sponsored by Valley Transportation now offers transportation using vans, sedans, and school buses. Airport run school trips, senior trips, sport and event trips. Leave the driving to the professional and courteous drivers of Valley Transportation. 664 Front Street, Woonsocket. 762-5055. 762-5055. Valley Transportation. Sunday's weather mostly sunny with a high of 76. Monday, sunshine in 74. Tuesday, sunshine in 78. Wednesday, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Otherwise, partly sunny with a high of 83. Thursday, mostly sunny and 83. And Friday, mostly sunny and 78 degrees. O.N. Radio. Okay, and we're back. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, our two-hour special and our 10th anniversary show today. Our great panel, of course, is Ben and I, I are always here, is Alexander Petikoff, filmmaker and Bigfoot researcher, Charles Credo, who was UFO researcher, founder of Seacoast Saucers of New England, and our great friend, they're all our great friends, but Shane Searway, uh, sometime uh, frequent co-host on our show uh, from TrueGhost.com. So we've got all the paranormal areas, uh, the major ones covered today. The paranormal pals, if you will. Paranormal <laughs> pals, exactly. So uh, let's get back to our discussion. And uh, during the show, we're hitting certain historical events things that occurred on the show more or less uh i remember um we we had a, a sort of a i wouldn't call it a rocky start in 2008 on achieve radio out of phoenix but we had uh, our very first show was me just sort of yakking about the weird paranormal views that we have and uh i, I don't know whether i hope it didn't bore people too much but our, our second show i'm not going to mention her name because she's a very nice person but i think probably one of our first guests was part of one of the, the really not very good ones because I don't think she'd ever been on a talk show before. And um, the, the producer w- was really uh, kind of uh, shocked that she asked, am I supposed to say something? Well, yes, it's a talk show. So anyway. I mean, I guess um, you could sit there silently, but that doesn't make for good radio. No, th- that's that's very true. Do you have a cricket button over there? Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that used to be the uh, the ringtone on my telephone, and I forgot to turn it off during one show, and the, uh, all, everybody was, oh, you had to train crickets on. Yes, because it, so, but anyway. especially when a pun falls yeah. flat, you just have the have your someone call you right at that time. Exactly. <laughs> one of the other highlights was in uh, 2013 when we broadcast uh, our CBS edition of the show from uh, Donna and Bob's house in the middle of the Litchfield Triangle. And uh, we have done some on-location broadcasts, but CBS somehow was easier than it is to do with ON here because it, we, all you needed was a good Internet connection and Skype. Now, this particular station doesn't like Skype. We only use it during uh, overseas. Well, for good, for good reason. <laughs> well, no, it is for good reason. We always have trouble with it. But I guess uh, you know, our wonderful station manager, Dave Richards, whom we love to death, uh, and who's been a tremendous supporter of the show and a mentor for Ben, uh, hates the phone bills more than he hates Skype, and we don't blame him. So we do our best when that happens, but it's not very very frequent. But we were broadcasting on location from the, the heart of the Litchfield Triangle, and uh, it was an old farmhouse in Connecticut. And we had we were all set up. We had a great Internet connection. But toward the end, now the family had several dachshunds, or sausage hounds, as my mother used to call. Oh, and Charlie the forty-pound. Charlie the forty-pound dachshund got tangled in my, in my headset wires as we were doing our outro, and I, I, I'm dragging, I'm being dragged down toward the floor. It sounded to do sounded the outro. sounded like that too, like you yes. were like you were being pulled away from the microphone. Yes, and all and we said, um, "We'll see you next time." Woof. 
<laughs> and the producer in Detroit said, what the, I'm not going to say what he, was that? And it was uh, Charlie the 40-pound dachshund. It sounds like a cartoon character, and he kind of was. So um, he, great he historical was. moments from the, uh, the the checkered history of behind the parallel. I will never forget those dogs, especially yes. when we were eating breakfast the next morning, and they, <laughs> they gave the dogs coffee. They liked their yes. coffee extra, extra. And I was like, wow, no wonder these dogs are dying. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, well, they, they – so in a way – um, it was cute, Charlie was but a guest on also the show, terrible. <laughs> and he uh, went the way of uh, too many guests, and and uh, sort of a leftist. Well, they were. Uh, I, I, I questioned it. I questioned it, and I was like, "Why do you? Why do you give them coffee?" And she was like, "You know, one day I, w- I was I was drinking my coffee, and I left it on the table, and I walked away to do something, and I come back, and they're on. They're just they're lapping it up, and I was like, "So you just give them coffee?" And she was like, "Well, kind of." No, it's like, she was like, I don't know, they're not long for this world anyway. Might as well, huh? Give them a little enjoyment. Well, that's a spirit, I guess. <laughs> so uh, getting back to our panel here, well, we have another question that, that, is, that came up uh, from several, several listeners, uh, and it has to do with what you feel the state of research is in the Bigfoot, UFO, and general paranormal fields um, in general today and where it might where it might be going whether it's good or 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 bad um why don't we think about that because i believe we have a a caller and uh we'll get to that question which i think concerns everybody who's interested in the field because they have to put up with the television shows and all this sort of thing so uh we have a caller it is don Dondary. oh don Dondary from montreal how are you don welcome to the show Thank you very much. I'm very fine. Thank you. How very are you good. all? You're on 1240 with our panel. And uh, first of all, we wanted to um, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, you're going to be speaking at the MUFON Symposium coming up in July. Why don't you tell us about that as well? Okay. First of all, I'm a retired psych professor at McGill University in Montreal. I've written some research on abductees, and I've basically, with the help of some other people, developed a test which makes it likely that somebody who gets certain answers uh, right on the test has been abducted by aliens. And that's a pretty controversial thing, I agree. Also, it's all empirical. There's no proof. Somebody who comes out scoring correctly on that test is likely to be abducted, but no guarantee. And that's where we are with this project, basically. Okay. It's a cooperative effort with a couple of people, the late Bud Hopkins and a fellow named Ted Davis, who still lives and works on Long Island. Now, uh, our uh, panelist who is involved with UFO research, uh, Charles Credo, is looking with great interest at his microphone. So, Chuck, <laughs> uh, would you have any comments or questions for Dr. Dundere? Yeah, uh, Doctor, first, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you know, you being a psychiatrist, me being a social worker, uh, just like Kathy Marden, um, you know, I've always been interested in the psychological component of what people do. So hearing that there's a test that is likely to hit on a number of things, and I like the way you worded that. A lot of people are looking for, you know, um, shadow of a doubt evidence today, but we're not going to get that in this field. What we do get is we get better than not evidence a lot of the time. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more of what you can talk about with that test and how it was formulated, if you could talk about it. I'd be glad to. First of all, I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> You're raising me up a couple of pay grades. <laughs> I'm just a retired psychology professor. Uh, no clinical qualifications whatsoever, except I've done a lot of research. And my research especially has been human visual perception and memory. So it's all academic, and uh, most of it uh, published in scientific journals, so I don't claim to be able to help people, put it plainly. Okay, about the test itself, 
This was first a job done by the late Bud Hopkins and his associate, a fellow named Ted Davis, who's a social worker, is a social worker, and he and Bud cooperated on developing a 608-question true-fault test. Now, anyone in the health, mental health trade knows that there's another 608-question true-fault test called the Minnesota Multiphysic Personality Inventory, which is a giant test designed to sort you out on various various parts of ill feeling, put it that way, what's, find out what's wrong with you. This test was designed by Bud and Ted with very much the same thing in mind. It was designed to figure out what types of, of extraterrestrial abduction experience you've had. So there are various scales on the test having to do with experiences of, uh, of um, being in spaceships, being feeling isolated, uh, looking at uh, strange heads and so forth and so on. In other words, a number of true-false questions which were sorted out into scales on the same principle as this very standard, very widely used um, personality inventory for people who are in treatment. The long and short of it was 608 true-false questions is a lot of questions. And these uh, two fellows asked me to help them validate this test. In other words, figure out if I could help them decide whether the test was actually doing the job it was supposed to do. And why didn't they know? Very simply, they'd given the test to 20 people whom Bud and other researchers in the field thought were abductees. That's it. Remember, as the, the post said earlier, this is all empirical. There's no absolute proof here. So Bud Hopkins and probably David Jacobs and a couple of other people had put together a set of 20 people they were pretty certain had been abducted by aliens. They gave the 608 a question true-false test to those people. Then they gave the test to me and asked me if I could find some other people to take the test. So who did I find? First, I found a bunch of what, what researchers call controls, people I had no reason to think had ever had anything to do with UFOs, aliens, abductions. They were just ordinary citizens, uh, some of them older, some of them younger. None of them with any purported UFO experience whatsoever. Those are controls. Then I got together a bunch of people who I told fake the test. First, I found out how much they knew about uh, UFOs, and when this was done, which was in the early 2000s, a lot of people knew about UFOs. It's a popular subject, so if you ask people, have you ever heard of uh, Star Wars or did you ever hear of alien abductions, everybody says yes, basically. So all of these people said yes to a couple of preliminary questions, and then we asked them to take the test as if they had been abducted by aliens. So we had a group of people that various experts thought had been abducted by aliens. We had a group of people no one had any reason to think were abducted by aliens. And we had a group of people who we had no reason to think had been abducted by aliens, but whom we asked to fake the test. And I did the research on the controls and the fakers, and I put it together with the research on, on the, the 20 abductees, somewhat more than 20, I'm sorry, a larger number than that, who had actually been tested by Bud and Ted. And Using standard statistical techniques, I was able to show that these three groups separated completely on these tests. There was no overlap. Wow. Now, this is all sounds like jargon to the average listener of the program, and I apologize. But what I'm doing is trying to explain as simply as I can that scientific techniques for sorting out people on tests separated out clearly a group of people who experts thought were abducted from a group of people we had no reason to think were abducted 
and another group of people who we had no reason to think were abducted, but we asked to fake the test. And that's what we did. And that's what I'll be talking about at this convention in uh, July in Philadelphia, or outside of Philadelphia. Very good. Uh, Shane had a question for Dr. Dunderry. Yeah, hello, sir. My name is Shane Stairway. Um, I have a question for you. So, um, out of, uh, with your test, is there one standout commonality between the, the individuals that you b- truly believe were abducted? I actually can't tell you. And the reason I can't is that it's a statistical sort among, um, among three different groups of people. And the three different groups of people actually, here's the way they did it. They actually scored the, the the people who were fakers scored higher on every one of the scales, the twenty three odd scales. They all went to the extremes. Yes, I've seen giant aliens. They've grabbed me out of my bed and so forth and so on. Yes, 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 yes. Or oh, true, 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 true. The the controls had very few of those experiences and answered less extremely to all of the scales. And the actual abductees were in between. So it looks like. Fakers knew what they were faking, but they just went to the extreme. The controls uh, did not have the same kind of intense experiences, and the people who experts thought were real abductees fell in between the two on almost every scale. Hmm, interesting. Thank you. Okay. Chuck, you have, have another question? Yeah, so just one last question. Um, a really quick answer from you, but would you say that, and I don't know what your experiences have been prior to this, would you say that you're a believer that people who claim to have these experiences are at least um, telling their truths at this point, or do you feel like, um, for the most part, there's another reason to explain why people are saying that they've had these abduction experiences? I think the first, your first choice is the one I'd accept. I think most of the people who, if you like, pass the test like this or come out in the group that uh, the test calls abductees have actually gone through this experience. And I think this experience is a real experience, not an imagined one. Yeah. Well, the MUFON Symposium 2018 takes place at the Crown Plaza, Philadelphia, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, on July 27th to 29th. Uh, so when are you speaking? I'm speaking on Sunday. That's the last day okay. at 9.30 in the morning, if I, I believe, if I remember the program exactly. Okay. And uh, do you have a website? Why don't you give us that? Yes, ufoets.com. Very good. And the uh, MUFON site is mufonsymposium.com. Dr. Dendary, thank you for the call. Very, very interesting stuff. We'll have you on the show independently as a guest if you're not afraid of uh, going the way of people we were talking about before. But uh, we'll, be, we'll be in touch off the air. Sure enough. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, fortunately, I don't think he had any idea what I was talking about, so that's, we're not going to mention it. Until <laughs> that's after true. He, was, he wasn't a part of the prior conversation. Yeah. Uh, that, that brings us uh, to another question that has come in from a lot of listeners, uh, and that is, uh, I think some of them were, these are recent questions, like just from the past week, and they came, I think, from our conversation with Anthony Peek. Last Sunday, uh, who is an expert on consciousness and has dealt a lot with the question of death. Uh, in your opinions, from your various backgrounds, what is the nature of death? Uh, does the term afterlife, what does it really mean? Or is there just life? I mean, all these, what, what do you think is the nature of death? Okay, Chuck? I, I don't know if there is death. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I don't know if there is such a thing. Yeah. Um, I know that myself, I can look around this room and I perceive all of you. And I have that as a sense of consciousness for me, but um, how do I know that I don't just move on to something else? You know, I, I don't know what death would mean. 
Um, I, as strange as it sounds, prove that death exists. Prove that our energy doesn't transfer somewhere else. To me, I, um, I don't know. I just I struggle with the term death. Always have. Yeah. We use the term translation, translate or translation. It's an ancient theological term, which I think really kind of is better. Alec. Yeah, to keep it, excuse me, to keep it kind of short, yeah, kind of echoing off of what uh, Chuck just said, what is death? I mean, it seems like it's almost some sort of a continuation of something. At least that's what I'd like to believe. I, th- I feel a lot that life is sort of a school of sorts. You just kind of, you're constantly learning. Sure, we spend the first 20 or so years of our lives in school, college, whatever, higher education, but we're always learning. We never really know kind of the extent of knowledge that uh, one would hope to achieve. So I think it's it's got there's got to be something else. It can't just be a meaningless whole. And I think people that believe that, you know, that's a sort of a very... A dark way of looking at things that this is it. This is the last thing that's going to happen. I, I don't believe that. Chuck? Yeah, just real quick uh, before you go to Shane. People that are interested in tarot, when, you know, everybody always gets worried about the death card. And if you ever look at what the death card really truly means, it means, um, it actually means um, a new beginning. It means transference. Yes. So I, I always found that very interesting, and I'll just leave it there. Okay. Shane? Yeah, no, I agree with both of them. Um, you know, death is just, uh, well, death of a body or, you know, our body dies, um, but we either graduate or we got expelled, but we're moving, we're moving <laughs> on to something else. But, um, and I've just, <laughs> like yeah, I've just been involved with way too much to, to, um, not believe that because, um, you know, over, you know, the thousands of investigations I've done and, and all the people I've been able to work with, there's just no doubt in my mind. I mean, they of course can't prove it, but, um, I'm just, I just know it, there's something after. Yeah. Uh, ben, any thoughts on that? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, I was actually just talking about somebody about about death the other day, and they they were they we, I don't know how we got on the subject. Anytime I'm I'm with my wife's friends, it always delves into like a philosophical discussion. Well, I'm sorry, theological discussion. It's a very different difference between the two. And we were talking about um, you know what happens when you die, and you know they they were of a firm firm mind. It's like, well, I mean, you know, you go, you you get judged, and just like, you know, it's just you, you just it just happens. And I was like, well, how do you know? You know, I mean, all all like, just just from my cultural background, it's like you know anybody that like even asks about it, it's like you know you don't know. You know, there's ideas. You know, there's people who have experienced stuff, but I mean, you don't you don't really know. And plus, who cares? Like, you know, you get there when you get there. It's like. I like that. That's very much the, the Jewish perspective, and I like that. I say, you know, don't worry about it. You know, worry about it when you get there. You know, the, the, and a Jewish friend of mine uh, would always say, it's not the dying. The dying is easy. It's the living that's tough to do. You know, <laughs> and they're right. I, the, 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 the simple uh, truth, I think, is there. On the on the other hand, I think. Well, there is no other hand, I guess. But uh, the weird point of view that I have is that. Uh, it comes from sort of Einstein's ideas from 1952, relativity. Everything is simultaneous. Uh, you, I think the whole reincarnation, because the idea that time is not past or future, it's just a function of our consciousness, that, that's just how we experience it, really blows the heck out of reincarnation and all that stuff. But does it? Maybe we're dealing with parallel lives. Why do we have memories that really are not ours? Why did Mozart sit down at the age of four and start writing brilliant piano concerti, you know? Because maybe he's in touch where he already is, 
a brilliant composer because that's another part of the multiverse idea that most accept, and that's that that all possibilities already exist in concrete reality. That that means all possibilities of you. The only thing, all things are possible in, in the multiverse. What is not possible in the multiverse would probably be death, not even for the body. And that raises questions uh, that that you you run into in the, the ghost hunting world. And I always ask several questions. One, okay, what happens when you die? But where were you before you were conceived? What's that about? Without your body, would you fully be you? Would you really be you? You know, mem- memory and imagination and all these things, are, are even talent are uh, being uh, considered now to be non-local, not within our brains and bodies. And that transforms everything about us, everything about society, everything about what we are, what we will be, what, and, and we are everything and everything kind of is us. So, so that's that point of view. Um, just to get back to a little bit of uh, our, our point of uh, moment of show history here, uh, I think probably the funniest moments on the show, <clears throat> there have been a lot of funny moments, but certainly among the funniest, and Shane, you were involved in this at, at one point, was uh, the story of the clumsy ghost. <laughs> yes. Yes, he laughs. He doesn't have to mention. Uh, somebody wrote in, it was in, in actually 2015, and, and the, the theme kind of got continued, but there was someone who wrote in, I believe it was Washington State, and they said, you know, we don't really know what to do about this, but there is... We have what apparently is a ghost. You know, it trips over things upstairs, falls <laughs> down the stairs, knocks stuff over, and it, it just it didn't have the flavor of a poltergeist, you know, kind of nasty, hostile thing. It was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and they said, and I think the funniest thing and what was was the statement that uh, if the guy the guy wasn't a ghost, he would have killed himself already. You right. know, falling <laughs> off the stairs, and, and I just and. Um, one or two other people wrote in about situations like that, and we just thought that was just. And it, it wasn't. They weren't frightened. It was just. And they they did point out that uh, one family pointed out that, that their uncle uh, had translated years before, and that he was a total klutz. He would was always tripping over stuff, you know, falling over the railing and all this. And it's a wonder he lived as long as he did. He was in his eighties. But uh, I said, aha, maybe if this, this parallel world thing is correct, maybe it's, it's still the uncle. Uh, and you're crossing, uh, physicists call it a brain, B-R-A-N-E, or a membrane between the worlds. Uh, and you're just, you're in the right place, you're sharing the same space, you can pick it up, just in, in, if conditions are correct. And it's not anybody who's dead at all, it's the clumsy uncle still bumbling around the house. So that's just, that was my thought on that. Clearly. Um, what, what are, and, and this, this, people didn't write in about this in any great numbers, but do you, do any of you have, uh, funny or entertaining or lighthearted stories from your paranormal work? I'm sure there's nothing better than the clumsy ghost, but, uh, <laughs> clumsy Bigfoot in your case, Alec, or, uh, a UFO that, that crashed into your house or something. Besides like that, the drunken say. samurai. Besides the drunken samurai. Yes. Samurai. Yes. Ah, uh, jeez. I guess I should have given you that question beforehand, so you could have considered it. In any case, uh, well, th- th- that was just a bit of show trivia and a bit of uh, levity. In, in, uh, I mean, I, I, other than myself tripping over things in the woods <laughs> in the middle of the night, you know, that's that's quite comical, although it's painful. But uh, <laughs> aside from that, I can't really think of anything. 
paranormal related, but I'm, I'm sure there's something. I'm just kind of trying to dig through stuff. So. Well, actually, I, when we were in Pennsylvania uh, a few weeks ago, I, I was rather entertained by some of the sounds that you fellows were, were making uh, here and there. Now, I realize not, now I'm still new to this Bigfoot. I saw Bigfoot there myself. I believe it was Bigfoot in September of 2016, a few months after Shane, and Shane was there. And uh, I, I, I guess as uh, I guess I'm the closest thing to uh, an organizer for some of this stuff. And I always insist people go uh, individually to different parts of of this tract of land and get your camera set up or whatever you need to do and see what there is to see. And that's when I had my experience. And of course, people say, "Well, you didn't have any other witnesses." Well, I mean, maybe I didn't. But but I think Bigfoot or whatever is going to be more amenable to uh, a quiet situation uh, and a meditative situation than to one where there's a lot of noise going on and a lot of people. So uh, I did see this, and I've talked about it many times on the show. Well, you did have the house at, at the end of the field that heard what you were seeing. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. They heard what I was seeing, supposedly when I was seeing it, and came up and, and sh- shine, were shining uh, flashlights up into the trees. And it's funny, I asked them, why, why were you shining lights up into the trees? They said, well, sometimes they're in the trees. <laughs> so I said, okay. Chuck? You know, you mentioned funny things, and I had to think about it first. And we alluded to it earlier in the program, but Alex and I, when we were interviewing that three-generation in Pennsylvania at the Flap about a month and a half ago, we're doing this interview, and we'll call the guy Buck. And, you know, I'm I'm asking... Yeah, his name is Buck. I'm okay. Chuck. He's Buck. Chuck Together, and Buck. Yep. we're uh, Laurel and Hardy, I guess. Two Buck Chuck. Chuck yeah, Buck. two Buck Chuck. Uh, that's a little reference out there for any Trader Joe fans. But uh, So we're interviewing Buck, and um, he starts, like, his eyebrows start to raise. Do you remember this, Alex? Oh, yeah. He starts looking over. He, he's like, like what, is, what that? is that? And I'm thinking, all right, so pause for a second. I'm thinking to myself, so we're talking about, you know, Bigfoots. We're talking about strange creatures. My back is to the woods in this area. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, come on. Like, what? what's going to be there, right? Like, is that, are they going to have a guy in a Bigfoot <laughs> outfit behind me, and this is like a surprise, Chuck, a hey, welcome to the area? Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen, right? I'll let Alex take this over, but this is what happened, ready? Yeah, my, my I, I don't know, I think I was walking around with the camera. I was kind of, it was difficult, it says it was a three-person interview to focus on one, so I kept shifting around. And he and I have the video clip where I have it on the tripod, just looking at Buck, and he just kind of says, "What? What is that?" I turn around, there's just a skunk kind of moseying around down by this little, <laughs> was it a barn or like a loud the middle of the day? Big skunk. It was just a little skunk. I mean, it looked very harmless. It looked very inquisitive. It was going underneath this little, a little outhouse type thing and poking its head out and going back in, and, and it was a very funny situation overall. But <laughs> the clip I have is the greatest of Buck. Just <laughs> this is at like 1 p.m. Usually skunks come out at night. Yeah, this guy's coming out, and I almost said this, and I don't know if I said this to anybody else. It's almost like the animals in this area are more happy. Like the deer kind of frolic around. Mm-hmm. You've got, and I've heard couple stories now from the people that are there. Like, here's a skunk that should be out at nighttime that totally should be fearful of people. or They're inquisitive creatures anyways. But this skunk is just, like, hanging out, like, hey, what's going on? I'm just going to park it right here, keep going, doing what you're doing. And we're all laughing our heads off, trying not to, like, run for cover. I mean, it was hysterical. (laughs) Well, they were talking about a story that happened uh, some late, I think she was a blind lady or something, had a bunch of cats and fed them, and and a skunk was 
she had no idea, but one of the creatures that she presumed was a cat was actually her skunk. <laughs> or not her skunk, but a skunk. Yeah. So that was interesting. Became her skunk pretty quick. Yeah. We, we saw a lot of deer out there. Shane yeah. and I had an experience. We were walking out to kind of scope out some land, and we had some deer run out. We had a lot of deer on the trail cameras. So there's mm-hmm. a lot, lot of wildlife in this area. There is. And it does seem to be – I like how you put that, Chuck. One of the things that th- – there are some – Negative overtones to some of the events that occur here. Oh, we have to take our break. I'm sorry. We'll be right back on that subject. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We're right back for our final half hour. Hi, Parrot Heads. This is Joe Callahan, your Mater D in the Tiki Bar every Tuesday night from 6 to 7. One full hour of nothing but Jimmy Buffett music. The Tiki Bar is brought to you by attorney Bob Lauder and by the Carew Investment Group. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON1240. This is our 10th anniversary show and a second hour of our, the final half hour, actually, of our two-hour special. We have our, our very, very interesting panel today, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff, UFO researcher Chuck Credo, ghost researcher and paranormal adventurer uh, Shane Searway, and certainly Ben and, and myself, we are kind of the five caballeros, I suppose, here of... Uh, some of these these crazy flap cases. Uh, we certainly want to do. We'll give you a chance to call in if you wish. I never give the numbers often enough. Eight hundred four four nine one two four zero from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. If you'd like to speak to any to any of our panelists, and uh, certainly we have uh, a lot of strange things that go on in the Pennsylvania Triangle area. The happy animal thing is interesting, but there are are some negative overtones. I'm thinking of the little girl Shane, who had a very frightening Bigfoot experience and has never wanted to talk to us. Okay. Um, I don't know. She's kind of crying. And and uh, she came to the um, neighborhood meeting. It's Mark D'Antonio. <laughs> yeah, it is Mark D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio is texting. Um, te- text him back and tell him to call in. Texted me too. <laughs> I'll go tell him to call in. Yeah, let's get organized here. So in any case, uh, there are some negative things that have happened, but generally there, there is not a lot of negativity here. One of the funny things that happened to me in that ravine while Alec and Shane were <clears throat> kind of walking down uh, to uh, take care of some trail cams, I think it was to retrieve it, uh, was uh, my electromagnetic field meter, which I rarely use. I think it is overused and, and misunderstood by a lot of the quote-unquote ghost hunters. Yes. But it is very interesting when it goes, when, when the, the milligauss reading goes into the negative range. That is very odd. Uh, it means the polarity on the electrical field is reversed. And when you're in the middle of the wilderness, uh, you may have a natural electrical field, but not when it's concentrated as this. It went into the negative range. Uh, as, this is just uh, on, a, on a flat place next to a stream, and it was moving. The field was moving, and there was really no so electrical field surrounds electrical current, mm-hmm. and there was no source of a current. And I followed this while you fellows were farther up the stream, and uh, and then it, it disappeared, which is very strange. Uh, People might say this could be considered a quote-unquote portal, or I might say an intersect point, one, one of many possibilities, an intersect point between the, the, the membranes of parallel worlds, as we would put it. So um, that's not funny. 
and there were no skunks involved, but it was a very interesting occurrence, I think, certainly on that last trip. Although there was a portal potty right near where the alleged portal was. <laughs> That's correct. Which would make that everybody at once. Here we go. Ready? I, oh, portal, portal potty. Portal potty. Portal yes, potty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chuck, uh, we're, the FCC is going to be after you for that one. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So in that in that uh, in that sense, we've uh, developed that case to the point of um, planning sort of a next step, and uh, we're going to be talking about that independently. I'm not going to talk about it on the air. I don't like to give too much away because the military involvement in all these flap areas is extremely interesting, and um, I believe we have someone calling in. And who we got there, Ben? Uh, is that who I think it is? Yes, no. we have Stanton Friedman on the line. Stan, it's, not, well, it's not Stanton. It's not Stanton Friedman. It's not Stanton. Well, my mistake. Yes. Who is three, it? You get three That's guesses. Why I said no. Oh, it's Mark D'Antonio. <laughs> Mark D'Antonio. Great, great, to, hey. uh, great to hear from you. Glad you could call in. We have, um, you're familiar with our panel today. I think you know all of us. Uh, Alec Petikoff. Uh, sure. Yep, Chuck Credo and, hey, and Shane. Hey, Mark. Hey, how's it going, Mark? Yeah. That's great, hey, buddy. Hey, guys. Uh, Mark, tell us a bit about yourself for those who have not heard you on the show, which would be probably very few people. Right. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Well, um, I'm uh, I'm the uh, chief photo and video analyst for the Mutual UFO Network, for one thing. Uh, I uh, I do uh, a lot of talks on exoplanets, which is my astronomy specialty, you know, and, and I have a degree in astronomy, which is something I've nurtured over many years to you know get. Uh, further into the exoplanet world. I apologize. I'm walking the dog. I, I, I know this is crazy, but it's literally the only time I have. I apologize. Uh, I do a lot of uh, documentary shows. With uh, you know, I've been on NASA's Unexplained Files on all their seasons and What on Earth, uh, all their seasons. Like we're shooting next week, season five. It's like, uh, you know, I guess I'm sort of a voice of reason, I guess. Uh, and, and reason is what we need. Well, reason is what we need, right, in this arena. So, I guess uh, there's value to that. So I've stopped yep. arguing with it and just said, okay, well, I'll try to be the voice of reason. Uh, and so I do that. Um, and uh, I just got back from Pine Bush in New York. It was a conference down there, uh, well, actually a UFO festival. Uh, and I did a talk on exoplanets and alien life. And it was oh, very well received, very happy to see that. And then uh, off to Florida this weekend to do another talk. And then I have a reprieve for the rest of the month. And then... Uh, I think uh, busy fly in New Jersey. For the now, will we be, will be will we see you? Are going to be seeing you in uh, at the Lemonster Conference, at Greater New England UFO Conference in October, and Exeter as well. Yes, I will. I will there, yeah. Okay, excellent. We'll look forward to that. Uh, Marcus, uh, one of our gang as well, though he hasn't come on the Pennsylvania case yet. We're hoping to get him involved in that. But Mark, one of the subjects I was we just were talking going to, about it yesterday. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, it was with someone actually. Oh, well, what you, was that? About? Trying to, well, somebody said to me uh, on the QT, "Have you ever heard of this town?" And he showed me the name of the town. Didn't say it. Uh, and I'm trying to remember the name of the town, but uh, it's the same town that uh, your publisher is in. And well, uh, Auckland, uh, Pennsylvania, Schiffer Books. Yes. Yes, that's right. Or Auckland, Auckland, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah, Eckland or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Th- th- that's a, that's said, at yeah, the uh, yeah. southern edge of the triangle we're working with. Okay. Yeah. So I guess there's something that even this guy knew about. He's a documentary maker, and he was interested in that area. So 
I knew nothing about it, and I told them, you know, nothing because I didn't know anything. <laughs> okay. You know? Well, one of the things we wanted to get into here with the panel, Mark, and you can probably help us, is uh, sort of a, an evaluation of the state of paranormal research in general, perhaps uh, UFO research in general uh, in, in particular, and maybe Bigfoot research in particular, because we have, as you know, the three uh, fellows we have with us today are in the sure. three different fields. So uh, wh- why don't you start? What, what's your take on the, the state of the field at this point? Uh, the, the state of the field, to me, is as follows. And, uh, you know, I was riding back after the Ozark conference. Stanton Friedman and I were going back to the airport together. I said to Stan, you know, Stan, what do we do about the fact that we're always seeming to see the same people saying the same things at these conferences? Does it mean anything? I mean, is there anything we can do about that? Uh, and he kind of laughed and said, well, he goes, knowledge never gets old. He says you have to constantly... You know, put it in people's minds because you're always talking to someone new. You know, I think, okay. However, my take is similar in that when we have a field where there's so much activity going on, we should have so much new research to see. Uh, but many times people circle the wagons and say, oh, this research belongs to me. You know, and if you want it, you have to pay for it. Or you have to, you know, do this, you have to do that. You know, and it's like we actually need to have a, a mentality where we're going to, Share the information regardless. There's always a book to be written. There's always a lecture to do. Uh, and people will always have the hunger to hear the person who did the research tell them about it, whether in a book form or in a lecture. So I think that uh, the state of the industry is that, in the arena, is that there's a lot of people that want to try and monopolize the knowledge. You know, mm. I, I can never do that because... It's something that belongs to everybody, not just me, if I find something, right? So that's kind of my opinion. And so uh, and it's, not a, it's not a jaded opinion. It's a conservative view. See you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Comments or questions for Mark? Okay. Yeah, Mark, what's your favorite color? <laughs> you, you've, uh, uh, actually, Midnight... Midnight Blue. <laughs> <laughs> You've overwhelmed the panel there, Mark. Nice. Mark, where can people find out more about you? Oh. What's uh, your website and uh, your, your appearances, things of that kind? Yeah, I'm sorry I'm so late coming in. I just got back to New York, and I, I couldn't call during the ride. It was way too noisy, and it's probably not too quiet here on the trail. But Well, we'll forgive uh, you. This is my, my, my warm-down period here. Uh, I'm at uh, my site, fxmodels.com, foxtrot x-ray models, m-o-d-e-l-s.com. Uh, you can see what we do with the visual effects company. But I'm also an astronomer, so I run Sky Tour live stream on YouTube, which is a uh, large-scale you know, uh, system where we actually show people the deep night sky on clear nights, uh, and people join us from all over the world. And they can talk to us through the chat. My host, uh, I'm the host, and my co-host is Amanda Curran, who's up in Nova Scotia. And together, Amanda and I, Shepard, a bunch of people on nightly journeys to the deep sky. It's you know? a lot of fun. And, and I, so, I must say, Mark, yeah. Mark uh, lives in Connecticut and has, has an observatory in his backyard. And it's, Actually, it's, front yard. A front yard, okay, so, so nobody missed it. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll never have any trouble finding no. your house. No, I have this big white minion on my front lawn. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Mark, so... I uh, Halloween. So uh, what is the next event you're speaking at? You mentioned uh, you just came back from Pine Bush. Yeah, uh, next one is uh, this coming weekend in Florida. I have to go. There's a 
uh, mutual UFO network meeting down there, and they're bringing me down to talk. Uh, and uh, I did a uh, yesterday's talk was very interesting. I actually did the uh, history of the Earth on a roll of toilet paper. Oh, we love that that. And program. so it was yeah. a nice. Yeah, I actually rejuvenated it, brought it back in, and revised it uh, with the latest uh, research findings and so forth. So it's 117 feet of toilet paper. Uh, so I unroll it. Yeah, it starts with the formation of the Earth and the Moon after that. And then we see it unroll and unroll and unroll, and then finally you get near the end when all the life starts to exponentially come out, and that's, you know, 100 feet, 115 feet later. And then uh, well, there's things that happen in between, which I talk about. But then uh, people get to see the history of the Earth in a very, very different way. And it shows them how uh, dinosaurs, for instance, are very recent history of you know, the extinction. Very recent history. You know, less than 15 inches from the today in that room where the end of the roll is. So it's, uh, it's very enlightening and people like it. It's great. It's true. I've seen that. I've seen it twice and it gets better every time. Mark, thanks for calling in. We'll talk to you very soon and, uh, good luck, brother. Hey, guys. Okay. Good hearing from you. Hey, thank Have you for having right. me on for a little bit and I apologize for the lateness. That's all right. We'll never forgive you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. So what do, think, what do you think of that subject, everybody, here in the panel, uh, as far as uh, the state of the uh, the field at this point? I thought uh, you were going to ask about Mark's toilet paper. <laughs> actually, it's uh, very nice toilet paper, it's, and it, uh, it really great. does the trick. I mean, to see the earth, the age of the earth visually like that, it's much better than a timeline. And the toilet paper, not, not to give away the show, ends up stretching all around the auditorium. And different people hold it, and, and he's, it's it's amazing. It just it shows you the the, uh, the great extent of time. Well, I, I think in terms of ufology, if if you want to talk about the state of ufology today, like one thing that I'm seeing a lot of, you know, I hold up meetup groups every month where people come and they talk about the subject. You get some people that are interested in nuts and bolts, like reports. You get other people that are interested in the spiritual aspect, meaning. You know, people have had experiences in the alien show, like past lives, or you know, there's synchronicities in their life that line up. And then there are some people that, you know, they they watch Gaia TV, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're talking about their favorite lecturer, who apparently has been on Mars their whole life, come back into their body, yeah. and ten minutes <laughs> yeah. has been their whole life, but they have all this knowledge. And then they talk about these things as fact, or what is fact, and. You know, one thing that always worries me is how do you quantify a person's story sometimes? You know, I think the nature of what I'm working with today is the more outrageous your story, the more people are interested in it. And I think sometimes the most real thing is not the most outrageous thing, but the one that you can barely put your finger on that you can't explain well. And I think, um, I, I think you've got to use a lot of discernment today mm-hmm. with what's real and what isn't. Um, and and be careful about calling you know saying that somebody's story isn't real or accurate just because it doesn't feel right to you you know so this is something I run into a lot how do you how do you weigh credibility with people and what they're saying so here's a question I have just from from you know not not paying a super amount of attention to the field and just sort of doing my own my own work the times that I have I have been going to like you know different events and all that has has you know. 19th century spiritualism sort of been creeping into the ufology field slowly but surely because I've noticed over hmm. the last like few years that like more and more spiritualist stuff is being brought around like abduction experiences UFOs and like I don't remember that ever being a thing like 10 years ago but like recently I've been like wandering around and looking I'm like there are like psychics that are giving like you know talks about ufology and stuff what I was like what, when was oh. this a thing 
Yes. Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that if you want me to. Yeah, go so for it. I've known a few people. I, I've known quite a few people that claim to be psychics or mediums, and a lot of these people, um, you know, have shown me quite some ability. I'll le- just leave it at that. Um, every single one that I know that I've ever put any stake into whatsoever has talked about, um, you know, viewing not only spirit but non-spirit entities like ETs, but all describe them very similarly. And this is where it gets interesting. So these are people that have talks, like mediums who have talked with spirit, that once in a while, and this goes across the board for all the ones that I put any stake in, they have all talked about having encounters with ETs in which the exchange of information that goes on, whether it be third eye or whatever, these entities are all very neutral, very quick and poignant and to the point. It's, it's a very interesting, different feel to how they describe them. And more and more people that are either mediums or psychic or whatever you want to call it seem to be describing very similar things. It's almost like they're all intertwined. And there's a lot of people that, um, after Dolores Cannon came out with her books, you know, The Convoluted Universe and such, that feel like they fit into this scheme that she talks about in these books of these waivers, you know, these, these different waves of people that come into this world through um, their spirit comes into a human body in which they feel like they're here to help the earth. And a lot of people relate to that stuff. So there's this, yeah, there is a kind of a spiritual movement that you see coming with a lot of these books that are coming out today. In fact, people talked a lot about it in the 50s, but didn't really know how to describe it more before uh, modern ufology. Yeah. Well, this is where we get into crossover phenomena in a way, and uh, we will deal with some UFO experts sometimes consulting uh, with us when they have uh, a family with abduction experiences going on, and all of a sudden there's poltergeist phenomena going on in their house, or quote-unquote demonic phenomena. One of the problems, I think, and Shane, I want to give you, get you in on this, one of the problems is the labels we put on things. Right. You know, this is uh, poltergeist. Well, it's the poltergeist I've run into have been utterly alien. In it, well, when you're in the presence of them, it's just a completely other. So that that's alien to me. Does that mean they're from some other planet? Well, maybe that doesn't even mean anything. That question. You almost have to define everything by what you see and and just yeah by and, its basic what you see. You and know, getting, what getting it does, beyond our, it. our own prejudices and beyond our very very narrow paradigm. Shane, let's say. You, well, yeah, to the original question, um, state of the, the research, um, you know, whether it be paranormal or, or ufology or whatever, um, it's kind of, I think, both the same. Um, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of good work. There's a lot of good work being done and, and uh, a lot of understanding, and we're, we're growing. Uh, we still don't know next to nothing, you know. Um, and But as far as, like, um, there's a lot of standout people who people people that get a lot of uh, attention from the media and they they get paid make big money to do lectures and and it, it's almost like they're always reinventing their ideas and it's it's not I don't think necessarily because they have a better understanding it's it's to keep them fresh and keep it so they can keep their their price tags way up there um, and there I won't mention names but there's some people out there charging huge absurd amount of money it's not okay to make a living but they're they're charging a huge amount of money selling their ideas as fact when Really, it's not a fact at all. It's just a theory that they have, or just a, an idea that they're trying to sell to their audience to, to keep paying their bills, and, and, um, and then some. But um, so, but there's there's a lot of people out there that are getting a lot of attention um, off some absurd ideas. I mean, maybe maybe they're right, but I think some of them are just way out in left field. And I, 
I think, you know, they almost have to come out with these outrageous ideas, like you guys were talking about, to, to stay, you know, in the eye of the, the public, in the interest yeah. of the public. And, and But be careful with what you, uh, you know, put your stock in on these YouTube channels or where, whatever, you know. And yeah, you except gotta, our YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, I think uh, speaking more on the cryptozoology side, of course, the biggest field within that is sort of Bigfoot. I think, uh, unfortunately, there's been a lot of people that have just been arguing, and I think it's stagnating in a lot of ways. There's people that are dividing themselves into different camps, so there's flesh and blood, there's more spiritual, paranormal kind of people that associate that more with cryptozoology. There's hardcore skeptics, and, and they all sort of have their own markets, and they all market towards certain types of people. I think there's been a lot of infighting, but then there's also these kind of these big personalities. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, um, but because people, you know, they'll identify with someone they saw on TV. But I think from my perspective as a filmmaker, we've been inundated with this kind of reality TV stuff for a long time now Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in all these fields. And it's I think it's taken its toll, and it's taken mm. a toll on how the general public Views it, um, whereas you know independent filmmakers like myself, not to toot my own horn, but uh, people like myself and Seth Breedlove with Small Town Monsters and, and a group of others have started these indie films just about these subjects and taking them seriously in the light of In Search of and some of these older documentaries and and we just hope that we can kind of tell these stories honestly and that's the the way I want to do it that's the way I approach the research mm-hmm. is through interviewing people and just telling their stories and not sensationalizing I think that's really important and if more people can support that maybe we can uh, sort of change the, the attitude towards the subject and have it taken more seriously and not as kind of sci-fi and, and reality yeah. TV show spin that's been on for such a long time yeah, yeah well said so that brings us right into our last few minutes I'm afraid and uh Let's uh, go around the panel and hear about your websites, uh, where people can find out more about you. Alec, why don't you begin? Sure. So um, my website is petakovmedia.com. That's P-E-T-A-K-O-V media. I actually just uh, re-updated it, so it's looking nice. But I have a documentary series about the Lake Champlain Lake Monster premiering next week on uh, the 16th. It'll be streaming on VidiSpace, which is Nick Groff's new paranormal-themed uh, streaming site, which does cryptids, UFOs, uh, ghosts. So it's catering streaming exclusively to paranormal, which is great. It's better than you know, kind of the Netflix and the big corporate stuff. So support your local stuff and support the people that are in the field that actually want to put that content out. Well said. It'll be out on DVD as well. So that's that's exciting, and I'm just looking forward to working on other future projects with you guys as well. So got a lot of stuff cooking up, but um. Yeah. Outstanding. Chuck? So um, I'm one of the co-founders of Seacoast Saucers of New England. You can find us at www.seacoastsaucers.com. We have meetups every single month, and I'm proud to announce on July 11th in Dover, New Hampshire, at one of our favorite restaurants, Yes, the Far Out Diner in Dover, (laughs) New Hampshire, we have a very limited engagement in which we will be hosting, you and I, co-hosting a a two-and-a-half-hour dinner um, at a restaurant in which everybody there is is going to be talking about their sightings, UFOs, everything to do with anything around that topic. And great dinner. Uh, all proceeds to go to local area Kiwanis to help put on the extra UFO festival. Very excited to have you. Uh, Matzo started uh, the, last year the Galileo Interviews. If you go to Facebook, type in the Galileo Interviews, you'll see interviews um, and even some stuff from Pennsylvania that I'm going to be putting out in the next month probably around the interview with those three generations. 
States. And uh, really, it's all about interviewing people that have had life-changing events in their life and telling that story in a way that's just like a sit-down conversation. So you can find out more on those two things. Please like uh, the Galileo interviews, if possible, on Facebook. It is one of the best... uh presentations of this subject I've ever seen, really. Thank you. Shane? Yeah, my name's Shane Saraway. TrueGhost.com is my website. All the contact information is there. Um, I'll be speaking, let's see, actually this Thursday evening, I'll be on Paranormal Zone TV on YouTube. Um, you can look that up. It, it, the show was on there once before, very popular. She, she does a good job interviewing. She's a good, good lady. Uh, but that's Paranormal Zone TV this Thursday. I'm um, also be speaking at the Lemonster, the Greater New Great England, England UFO yeah, Conference. UFO Conference. Columbus Day weekend. Okay, thank yeah. you. I'm terrible with dates. And also at the Exeter UFO Festival this year, I'll be speaking there. I'm also speaking to Connecticut MUFON. I don't know if that's just for them or if I'm doing some type of thing, but I don't know how um, that's scheduled to um, later out um, this fall. But um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some stuff but, but that's well we'll remind you yeah we'll remind you yeah. okay <laughs> so uh, on sat- taking us right into our announcements here uh, on Saturday July 21st uh, after the great the great event at the uh, Friar Diner that we're looking forward to hopefully Ben will be able to be there too yeah I'll block it off yeah on the 21st uh, Ben and I will be, be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot Mothman and monsters you never heard of you should be there Alec, uh, based on our 2017 book of the same subtitle. This is free and open to the public, but registration is required. Go to danburylibrary.org and click on the View Calendar link. On Labor Day weekend, September 1st and 2nd, we'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. Shane will be there. Cause, is anybody here not speaking at the Exeter UFO Festival? <laughs> I will be at, actually, the International Cryptozoology Conference oh, that same okay. weekend in Portland, Maine. So you can not too far off. You can represent our group up nice. there and, and tell uh, Lauren Coleman <laughs> we said hello. Hey, the good news is we got people in both areas, so we can get yeah, reports right. in yes, both yes. areas. Yeah. So uh, our subject on Saturday, Ben's and mine, will be aliens and exorcism. Who do possessed, quote-unquote, people report why do possessed people report UFO experiences? On Sunday, we'll do our third annual, on lo- I should say, annual on-location broadcast from Exeter Town Hall with a panel of the speakers and a live audience. It'll be the third year in a row we've done that. Uh, it's great. People come from all over just to go to the show, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, audience can participate. Uh, the event is a great annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis Club of uh, the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club. Uh, children's charities there, and last year they raised over $9,000 for that. So more at ExeterUFOFestival.org. And we mentioned the UFO uh, sympo- uh, MUFON Symposium in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, 2018. That's July 27th and 29th. Ben and I are not speaking this year, but it's a great event, and it's a rarity on the East Coast. So check it out, MUFONSymposium.com. And then on Columbus Day weekend on uh, October 5th and 6th, uh, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Uh, not sure about the topic yet, but stay tuned. We'll, we'll figure it out. And all three of our panelists that are here today will also be speaking there, along with a number of other great presenters. You can find out more at uh, the website, NewEnglandUFO.com. Uh, there you go. They could capture us all in one shot and put out the conference out of business here today. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, our 2016 book, Ben's and Mine, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is finally available as an ebook on Amazon Kindle and, Amazon, and Apple iTunes. It's also still available in stores. And you get all our books in print uh, and uh, form as well. And if you order them online at either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhost.com, we'll be happy to autograph them for you. Who's got books coming up among you three? Any, anyone? 
I've been working on mine way too long, but uh, nowhere yeah, you're near. Worse than me. Nowhere near. <laughs> okay, it's well, a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. it's a work in progress. <laughs> I think Alex and I are more video guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. some point, I think I'll venture into the author field. Now, Alex, now. you have a YouTube channel, right? So yeah, I have two. I have uh, just the Petikov Media that's with my website, and I have another one called Sasquatch Out of the Shadows, which deals exclusively with the Bigfoot stuff, and nice. I will be uploading some of the Pennsylvania stuff on there um, in the coming months. Nice. And uh, Ben and I have a there's the Behind the Paranormal YouTube channel which is uh, sort of uh, creaking along um, well, I'm, I'm slowly but surely editing my way through the very the the six hours of footage that we we had from our our visit to America's Stonehenge and I've edited down to eight minutes so far and that's just from like because Den- Dennis Stone is an amazing informative guy there's so much detail to edit around so I have, I'm listening and listening and listening I'm like all right I gotta gotta pick out what's most important <laughs> All right, well, what do we have next week, Ben? Next week we have, uh, let me get to the page. So that is June 7th, or 17th, I should say. We'll welcome the great Nick Redfern on the exclusively weird, or excessively weird, subject of the Slender Man. Yes, getting into these strange things. Nick is writing the uh, foreword for my next book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds. I'm almost finished with that. Then we'll leave you this afternoon with some wisdom from British author Stephen Richards. The true measure of success is how many times you can bounce back from failure. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind.